morning and welcome to Catalyst, everybody. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I've got some really good news I want to share with everybody. Um, this week, um, we, uh, uh, we, we support missionaries all over the world. Um, and uh, part of what you guys give goes out in the form of missions and church planting. And our commitment to one ministry ended uh, last quarter. And uh, in, a, in a gesture of faith, instead of picking up one, we picked up two. Uh, ministries. One in Nepal, my friend Ruben Rosali, who's a church planter, has planted hundreds of churches where we've started supporting him. And now officially, we are now as a church supporting our India mission. A lot of you all are individual sponsors of children um, there. Uh, 151 children are sponsored by people in this church. But we have never actually from the church, from the, from the offering, actually supported that. But they're starting a new ministry, reaching, uh, starting another orphanage. And, uh, and so we are actually going to be supporting them. So we're co- continuing God's uh, work around the world uh, with that, picking up two new ministries this week, which is amazing. Um, and uh, I can't wait to see the fruit of that. I wanted to make that announcement before we get started. Uh, very exciting. Um, Psalm thirty-three, twelve says this, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Today, I'm talking about a very controversial subject. It's called One Nation Under God. And uh, the main thing is people who forget their past have no future. Um, I found out from, from my travels to India, I found out of something really unique in how they capture elephants. How they, 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 what they do is very interesting. An elephant is the largest land animal, um, and they're very, very, very strong. And so how, does, how do humans uh, keep them in captivity? Well, it's actually very easy. What they do is they take a baby elephant, and they tie a rope around, around one of the legs, and they stake it to the ground, okay? Now, the baby elephant gets used to the rope, and, and as the elephant grows and grows and grows and grows, it can rip tree trunks, tree, trees out of the ground with its trunk, but it never tries to break the rope and the stake, which would be easily broken. Why? Because it has in its mind that that is unbreakable. And it goes about its day thinking that it is in captivity to this rope and stake that it could easily pull up. And that is actually the way uh, that a lot of us are. We are very easily kept in captivity by what we t- were taught as young people. Uh, a lot of what we were taught, our history, we are kept captive to that when it is false. And so uh, what we are, what, what is, it is so very important to understand that there are th- people in this nation and in this world trying to change our history so that we will be like that elephant and not, not understanding what we were created to do. Um, and, and it's nothing new. You guys go to Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. Um, the nation of Israel had been led out of captivity. They'd been led out of slavery um, <clears throat> by Moses. They'd seen the signs and wonders of God on Pharaoh, the plagues and all that stuff. They saw him 
part the Red Sea. They saw him guide them into, provide for them 40 years in the desert with manna. They uh, saw God crash the walls of Jericho. They saw all of this, saw them give them victory over the people in the land and, and, and solidify them in the promised land. They had seen all of that. Okay, that, that is where we are. If you fast forward about 200 years, the situation had completely changed. 200 years, completely changed. And we meet a guy named Gideon, his, and, and this, this is part of his story. And, and Judges 6, 11 through 13, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the uh, Abizarite, whatever that is, uh, where, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I want to skip down to verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. I want you to remember those. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took the 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on a newly built altar. Verse 29, they asked, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Amazing. Those of you all that know the Ten Commandments, what is the first commandment that was given by God? You shall have no other gods before me. And yet, the situation is this. Number one is that Israel had forgotten its founding. They had forgotten its founding. All right? Uh, it took less than 200 years for them to move from God parting the Red Sea and worshiping God to, and, and his establishing his covenant with them. It took less than 200 years for them to completely throw God out of the country and start worshiping the, the, uh, the gods of the people around them. They had completely walked away from God and had adopted the customs and the ways of the world. Less than 200 years. All right? The second, they had forgotten their founding. They walked away from it. They turned their back from it. The second thing in the situation is that Israel went full-on Baal worship, full-on Baal worship. They had adopted the customs of the people whose land they were living. Listen, when they walked away from God, they did not become these free, enlightened, amazing, intelligent, uh, liberated people. No, they simply took what was greater, threw it away, and began worshiping what was less. And that's exactly what people do when they walk away from God right? They'd forgotten their history. They'd forgotten why they entered the promised land. They'd forgotten why they were there, and they'd forgotten who had brought there. Remember what Baal worship was. was it was sexual promiscuity, child sacrifice, and worship of the earth. 
That's exactly what Baal worship was. And as America has walked away from God, we've embraced Baal worship too. Sexual promiscuity, child sacrifice in the form of abortion and worship of the climate. It's Baal worship all over again. The third thing in the situation, which is the final stage of a society before it commits suicide, is this. Israel actually fought its origins. It's not enough just to walk away from it. That's the, that's the early stages. But the last stage of a society before it implodes, before it commits suicide, is that it actively fights its origins. See, then the story, like the story of Gideon showed, they not only worship Baal, but they wanted to kill anyone who opposed it. They wanted to kill anyone who brought them back to their foundations. They were so far gone, they actually fought the God that got them there. Wow. Well, why were they doing this? Why were they doing this? Why were they engaged in this? Was it working out for them? Was, was the worship of Baal bringing better results than worship of God? Well, let's see here. If we go back to Judges 6, 1 through 6, here's the situation that, w- that they were living in. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years, he gave them to the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, Midianites, Amalekites, and Eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped out on the land and ruined the crops all the way from Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents um, like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. That's what Baal worship had brought them. Sound like they were doing great? No, but that was the result. Of what? Of walking away from the Lord. They were oppressed. Their, their families were falling apart. They had no sense of, of a national identity. And I found something, you guys. I found something. Is that history repeats itself. And when we forget our origins, when we forget our history, we will experience the same thing that they did. There's nothing new under the sun I believe, and I believe I can back this up, that there are powerful forces, well-funded forces, in this country attempting to rewrite our history, remove us from our foundation, and get us to fight that foundation. I believe that. Because, see, guys, if you control the history, you control the people. If you can control history, then you can control anyone. That's the reason why conquering kings uh, would come in and they would rewrite all the history books and teach different history to children. That's why when, when uh, uh, St- Joseph Stalin died, his successor, Khrushchev, had all of the Russian textbooks, Soviet Union textbooks, rewritten without Stalin. Now, how in the world you, you uh, rewrite Stalin out of 30 or 40 years of Soviet Union history? I don't know, but he did it, right? You can control the history, you can control the people. And that is what is going on in our culture right now. That is one of the reasons we are fighting a culture war is because we don't have a sense of who we are or where we came from. And when we have that, then we are not easily conquered. 
okay? We are not easily swayed. When we know our history, when we know our foundation, when we know why we're here, it's very difficult to move us off of that rock, right? I call this one nation under God. Now, I remember my very first, uh, my, my very first uh, ministry out of seminary, excuse me, um, I, I, I went down to Alabama and I helped plant a church under a pastor named John Kearns. And he was uh, a, a very, very dedicated to history. And I remember I was fresh out of uh, public school and, and private secular college um, and everything. And I, I was a history buff and everything like that. And I was taught certain things. And, and he, he told me, we got in a discussion one time, and he told me that America is a Christian nation and, um, and we need to be acting like it. And I said, no, 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 no. No, American was never a Christian nation. I, I said the founding fathers were deists. They, they didn't really uh, uh, support God. They, they just wanted free secular society. He looked at me and he said, what in the world is wrong with you? He goes, is that what you believe? And I said, well, that's exactly, uh, that's, what, that's what I've been taught. That's, that's what I have, have, I've studied history and I've, I've, I've every, I mean, I was, a, I was, I was uh, a history minor in college and I was taught this stuff. I said, John, you're wrong. And he said, well, let's just go back and let's talk. And he showed me some things that I had never been shown before. I was shown documents and I was shown uh, writings that were never taught to me in history about the foundation of America. And I realize that America is exactly like Israel. We have forgotten our foundation and we are actively fighting against that foundation. And for us to continue to live under the blessing of God, we must remember our foundation. So you guys, I, I picked out three things uh, based around three quotes that I believe have lost that are fighting the foundation. Number one, the public school system has forgotten its founding. Public school system has forgotten its founding. You guys, I, I'm gonna talk to you guys about a guy that you've never heard of. Never heard of. His name is Dr. Benjamin Rush. He was one of the founding fathers. No one has ever heard of him. And yet he was probably one of the greatest founding fathers ever. He was, uh, this is what he said about the Bible as the foundation for the brand new public school system that he was starting, okay? He was starting a public school system based on, an in, uh, on a property tax. This was the first time in the world it had ever been done. It had never been done before. Education was something for the wealthy. But Dr. Benjamin Rush foresaw a public school system funded by property taxes to educate children of America. And he said the Bible will be the primary textbook for it. This was his quote. It has now been several months since I promised to give you my reasons for preferring the Bible as a school book to all other compositions. Before I state my arguments, I shall assume the five following propositions. One, that Christianity is the only true and perfect religion and that in proportion as mankind adopt its principles and obey its precepts, they will be wise and happy. Two, that a better knowledge of this religion is to be acquired by reading the Bible than in any other way. Number three, that the Bible contains more knowledge necessary to man in his present state than any other book in the world. Number four, that knowledge is most durable and religious instruction most useful when imparted early in life. And five, that the Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration of Independence, framer of the Constitution, father of public education, first Surgeon General of 
the United States Army and founder of the Philadelphia Bible Society. Now, this is radical stuff to anybody my age and younger. Benjamin Rush has been edited out of America's history, though he's probably, like I said, on par with more than, more than many of the ones we've heard about. We've heard about. He, it, it, he explicitly stated that his public school project was to use the Bible as its primary textbooks for the reasons stated above. And I'll bet less than 10 people in here have even heard of Benjamin Rush. And even fewer know that the Bible was the primary textbook in American public school. Where are we now? Well, two weeks ago, a Christian teacher in Virginia was fired for failing to address a student by his or her, or its preferred pronouns, stating that as a Christian, he believed that God made them male and female, and that there were only two genders, as the Bible says. He was sued, and he won his appeal, but he was raked over the coals for this radical stand that there are only two genders, as the Bible says. That's where we are in public education now. So we see American public schools not only moving off of the foundation, but actively fighting that foundation, just like Israel did. We, see we are just like the nation of Israel in Gideon's time, willing to fire, shame, crucify anyone who dares mention bringing the, the Bible or biblical truths back into the classroom. My parents grew up in a school that had the Ten Commandments on their walls. The altar to the Lord, the Ten Commandments, is gone. And now there are altars to Baal in every classroom. And share poles where they used to be. And it's death to you if you try to remove them like Gideon did. What are these altars to Baal I'm talking about? LGBTQ, pride flags, monuments to secular humanism, pictures of communist uh, atheists, uh, uh, dictators are in classrooms now. We're exactly where Israel was. We're experiencing the same results. Second thing, the government has forgotten its founding. John Adams, who was the second president of the United States and, and vice president of George Washington, said this, we have no government armed in power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Basically what that means is we can't pass enough laws to, if people can't police themselves, we can't pass enough laws to contain them, is what he said. Our constitution was made only for a religious and moral people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and in industry, to justice, kindness, and charity towards fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be. John Adams, signer of the Declaration of Independence, framer of the Constitution, ambassador to France and England, first vice president of George Washington, second president of the United States. This is the founding. This is the foundation that America was put on. These were the people that set it up. These don't sound like deists. These, sounds like, these sound like people that, that know what they are doing and what they're planting on, and that is Almighty God. See, the Constitution limits the government, you all. The Constitution, as it was set up, limits the government. Understand this. The Constitution limits the government, not the people. 
That was the foundation. This is why you see people in crowds shouting, you work for us at legislatures and senators. That's why. Remember, the government's job is protect our liberties, not run our lives. I see so many young people, but older people too, willing to sacrifice self-determination and liberty. We now have powerful forces in our lives fighting the foundation that our government was put on. You mentioned that it's the government's job to protect liberties, not keep you safe. You'll have a fight on your hands. You'll be shamed. You'll be called every name in the book. I know because I've had it done to me. I mentioned that the government's position is to protect our rights and our freedom and our, and our right to self-determination. And we're written off as a right-wing fascist. How dare I say that? And there are people fighting any mention of the concepts of self-determination. You being in charge of decisions affect your life. Powerful forces fighting that right now. And it's centered among our young. The third thing is that our culture's forgotten is founding. Listen to what Noah Webster, father of American education and scholarship, founder of Connecticut Institute for the Abolition of Slavery, publisher of Webster's American Dictionary, says this. Our mor- the moral principles and precepts contained in, the his- in Scripture ought to form the basis of, of all our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evil that men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting of the precepts contained in the Bible. He says, everything wrong in society, it comes from us walking away from what the Bible says. That was a founding person of our, of our country. The culture, instead of looking to Christianity and the Bible for solutions to societal problems, now forms a narrative that church is the cause of those problems. I read a story in San Francisco. Now, this is where we are. Remember that the Ten Commandments used to be on every school classroom in America. And Commandment 6 is, thou shalt not murder. School children saw that every single day. When those were removed, last month in San Francisco, the murder rate is so high that they are now paying people not to kill each other. What a great solution. Instead of teaching, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. Instead of teaching that, now we're paying people not to kill each other. You go a month without killing someone, you get some money. See, not only have we moved from the foundation, but we are living in the context of absurdity as people try to do what John Adams said, try to uh, rein in the sin nature without God. Can't do it. So they pass laws like that. That's where we are. (coughs) Those are the things, the three things that I identified as having lost the foundation and we are suffering because of it. This is the truth. And this is where I want to go. This is where I want to live. This is where I live and breathe as a Christian and as a citizen and as a father and as a husband, as a pastor, as a person who loves my country. Freedom and liberty are inseparable from the Christian faith. You cannot have one without the other. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
Alec de Tocqueville was a French scholar who came to America shortly after the revolution. He was amazed at how quickly America had grown to prominence on the world stage. He had been in France, he'd seen the wars in Europe, he'd seen the, 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 the nonsense going over there, and then all of a sudden America sprouted up and, and it was uh, an industrial powerhouse and it was growing and it was expanding despite all of its faults. It was, it was just amazing. So he went over there to try to find out what was so unique about America. How did they spring up so fast? And he wrote this, Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. In France, I had always seen, I'd almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united, that they reigned in common over the same country. Religion in America must be regarded as the foremost of the political institutions of that country, for it does not impart a taste for, it, it, it does not, uh, for if it does not impart a taste for freedom, it facilitates the use of it. I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile lands and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution, but not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. And America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The safeguard of morality is religion, and morality is the best security of law as well as the surest pledge of freedom. The Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive of one without the other. Wow. How many of us were taught that when we were children? How many of us were taught something completely different? A few weeks ago, we, remi- we re- remembered the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I was coaching a soccer game that day, and I re- realized that not one of those soccer players on the field we're alive when it happened. 9-11 was a keystone moment. Everybody remembers where they were when they saw the planes hit the towers. Pastor and author Jonathan Kahn has looked at the prophetic significance of 9-11. He looked back at the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had a love-hate relationship with God. They were faithful that they weren't. They were faithful and they weren't. And they went into this period where they walked away from God. And something happened. The Lord allowed what Khan calls a breach, a limited incursion into their country. The Babylonians launched an offensive and they breached Israel's borders. They killed a bunch of people, and then they left. It was not a full-blown invasion. 
It was a breach. The wall was broken. And, in, and God allowed this breach in the nation of Israel's history to cause Israel to wake up and return to God because of the disaster they saw. They saw this army opposing them and, and their, their country, uh, country men and women were killed and, and they, they were supposed to return, repent and return to God. Well, they didn't. And a matter of fact, they did exactly the opposite. They were defiant. They shook their fist at the one and said, we will rebuild. We will rebuild back stronger and we, will, we won't take this. We, we, we built this, this, uh, uh, this gate with wood. We'll rebuild it with stones. We'll be even stronger. They didn't get the message. And they persisted in their unbelief. I think a lot of us that were alive at that time saw the parallels between 9-11 and the breach because it was the same thing. It was a limited incursion, not a full takeover, a limited incursion. It was supposed to wake up America, call us to return to God, but we didn't listen. Just like Israel, we didn't listen. We shouted at the heavens, we will rebuild. We didn't repent. We didn't turn from our evil ways as a country. 19 years after the breach, 19 years after the breach in Israel's history because of their persistent unbelief and rebellion, the Babylonians invaded again. This time, they they, they, they came in and they occupied and they destroyed, uh, they, they destroyed through the gates, they, they, they destroyed and they occupied. Jonathan Kahn says 19 years later after 9-11, the enemy attacked the same city in the form of COVID-19, 19 years. Where was the center? of the COVID-19 outbreak in New York City. See, Jerusalem was seen as a center, was a center of Israel. New York has always been seen as the gate to America. Those of you, like me, who had ancestors that came over, all came through New York. That's where we all came in, that's, that's the gateway. It's the gateway to America, New York. And in the same way, we were attacked at the gates. Prophetic significance that we are following the same path as, as, as Israel did. The same events are happening to us. The same response that Israel gave, we are giving. And I don't know if you know what happened after that occupation. The state of Israel was invaded and ceased to exist. All of these things, the breach, 9-11, the Babylonian occupation, COVID-19, all of these things, if they are all tied together, which I believe they are, are not intended to destroy this country. It is intended with one purpose, to bring us back, for us to move back to the foundation that we were started on, to return to God in repentance for our rebellion 
for our thumbing our nose at the word of God, for us not taking him seriously, for us not taking worship seriously, for us having other priorities other than worship, for us having other things that we love more than God. It's called idolatry, and America's full of it, filled with it, and it is time for us to start listening to God to start listening to his warnings that he gave to his people Israel and he's giving to us now. He is not doing these things to destroy us or to scare us or to, or to cause us uh, to be discouraged. He is doing these things for one reason, because time is short and he's calling his church back to him. That's why. And that is what we must understand. That blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. And we were, when we risk that at our own peril, for those of us that have grown lukewarm, for those of us that are sitting at home when you should be here, for those of us that have figured out other, better things to do on Sunday morning, for those of us who have not taken the discipleship seriously in our own homes, for those, uh, those people, uh, the Lord is calling us to wake up, understand how far we've gone. I want to invite the band to come on back up. It is amazing in the story of Gideon that when God called him to cut down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole, where did he, t- where did he start? Started in his own home. There was a, an altar and a Asherah pole right there in his family compound. He didn't go over to the neighbor He didn't go to another city. He started in his own home. And that's where we must start too. Are we on the foundation of Christ in our own homes? Are there altars to Baal in our own homes? Are there sheriff poles in our own homes? Idols that have taken the place of the true and living God Is there a priority that is out of whack in your home? Is there a a, a hobby? Is there a lifestyle? Is there something that is against the word of God? That needs to be cut down today. And you'll probably get the same reaction in your family, from your neighbors, that Gideon got. You must die. You'll probably get that. But people, this is the time where God is calling us to repentance and calling us to return to him because he loves us and time is short. I pray during this next little bit, you do some business with God, search your hearts, search your your family, search your life, and let's return to the foundation that God planted us on instead of fighting it.